All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to all of you. Shalom and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Hello. Hi there. It's the morning after. Yes. We, uh, we uh, trekked down to Tel Aviv yesterday uh, and went down to the CPAC event, which was done also with uh, Tel Aviv International Salon and with Tikva. And Ben Shapiro. We went to see uh, Ben Shapiro speak last night. We went to a VIP event beforehand, shook hands. All of our friends were there. Uh, there was a whole uh, Yishai's Pals get-together there as well. That's like a, a WhatsApp group. And and uh, there was there was a lot of fun to be had last night. And it was definitely a night where we went to Tel Aviv. By the way, interestingly enough, as we were going to Tel Aviv, there was also an effort to create like at least three, if not more, new communities in, in mostly Samaria, but in Judea and Samaria. Uh, so, uh, you know, while while some of our colleagues went into the hilltops, we went down to the coastal plain. Right. It was a two-hour drive. From all, attacking from all sides. That's right. As as And you know who was there also? One person who I didn't get a chance to interview uh, was Colonel Kemp, Richard Kemp. Oh, that's sad that you didn't get the chance no, to No, no, I'll, I'll get him while he's here in the country. Okay, he's here good. for a while. Uh, oh, he is? Yeah. He's an amazing character. We've got to bring him out. Now, Kemp happens to have a t- tagline that he created. Do you know that? It? No, I didn't. He's got two words. It's keep attacking. Oh, nice. That's his tagline. Oh, I was wondering, because you had a post of him on Twitter, because he came to Maratamachapela, I think. That's right. And you said that he keeps attacking. And I remember thinking to myself, that's aggressive. I don't know if he wants to be. I know he's a military person, but maybe he doesn't want to be thought of that way. No, that's his tagline. Keep attacking. That's really cool. So we were attacking yesterday down in Tel Aviv. Uh, and it was also on the coastal plain. Our 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 uh, our cat that we're watching is making a lot of noise. Shh, shh. We're working now. We're <laughs> recording. Meow, meow, meow. Calm down. The, if you want to come sit here, you can. But stop making so much noise. Meow, cat. There's a there's a picture I put on my social media of this cat, uh, and it's actually the Gimpel's cat. Yeah, Jeremy. Um, you know from from. Uh from the, the fellowship. That's right. So the land we're watching of their network. cat while they're touring all across the United States. Right, and we're having a good time. This is a good cat, uh, but sometimes it makes weird noises out of nowhere. In any case, <laughs> this. Oh, so I put it on social media, and yeah. there's a picture of me with my tefillin on. Yeah. And the cat's like with its head upside down on my desk. I took that picture. That's right. So what's funny? This guy, who's a good friend of mine, Joel Griffith from Heritage Foundation, who's in the country right now, he comes up to me and he goes, and he's a big guy and he's a, like a good-looking guy. He goes to me. I just want you to know I really appreciated that cat photo. <laughs> I'm like, why is that? He's like, I'm a cat guy. What? And a I'm lot a of people. I'm a cat guy? Yeah, and like a lot of times people like challenged by masculinity and you're a masculine guy and you like cats. And that made me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Ishai. I, the mitzvahs you do that you I, don't even know that you do. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> You're so right. I had no idea. <laughs> like you this... like normalized cats for men. <laughs> Congratulations. I think cats are fine. I like yeah, dogs not? also, but I like cats. Cats I are like... an easier pet. This cat's a smart cat, and it's fun. We had. We one... thought it would be dumb initially. Yeah, w- but it's smart. Yeah. No, I don't like. We had a stray that we brought in the house, and the Israeli strays they they are street cats. They are not domiciled, or if that's the word, the domesticated. Domesticated, yeah. Domiciled. City You're boy. domiciled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not domesticated. Meow. Okay. Yeah. Um, Malka. Wait, I just want to say that I we also had the chance to meet a lot of fantastic listeners yes. last night. Yes. Um, like-minded people came together at CPAC last night. And I want to say that Ben Shapiro 
rocked my face with his speech. It will be on the show. It's at the end of the show. I'm oh putting man, the whole, I'm so the happy speech. for everybody yeah. that you put it on. Yeah. You you probably you know how people like to speed up to like 1.25 or 1.5 um, times speed when they listen to something. Sometimes yeah. to like, like make my it friend faster? Zev listens to our shows. This fast. one, when you get to Ben, put it at 0.75. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, he like he 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 talks fast. He thinks fast. I could see that he was trying to slow himself down a few times. Yeah, and then he had to like slow himself down back again. Yeah, but he was he was really he spoke very beautifully. I have to say that I probably agreed with like ninety six percent of the things that he said. Yeah, um, and it was just really cool. And I want to say that it was such a joy to meet listeners um from around israel and from around the united states because some people came are coming in for the summer or came in for this event and um and i want to next on next week's show i want to talk about some of the things that uh there there is a controversy that i want to address but i don't know if we have time to discuss it on this i also have a controversy that i want to talk about but we don't have time today so we'll we'll stay tuned for next week's show that's right and we'll bring up the controversies you have to go to work you have a meeting i have a meeting right uh, and and we don't have all the time. One of the things that I just want to say about the Ben Shapiro speech was that it was not, and this is what 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 really uh, makes a person like stand out. It was not fluffy. It was actually about change and about the right things to move forward. And it was in this case, he actually talked. Cat, you are disturbing me. Shh. <laughs> meow. Meow. Calm down, Chairman Meow. Chairman Meow is Malkus. I made that up. That's my she universal cat name. Yeah, Chairman Meow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, the thing about the speech that was really funny, uh, no, not funny. The thing you laughed, so it made me say Sorry. the word funny. Not funny. The, the, the thing, the speech that really impressed me was that it was very serious about, happened to be about the legislature, Israel's problem, legislate, legislator, actually the, the problem of the Supreme Court. Right. Judicial. That is not legislative. Judi- excuse me. Oh my gosh. My brain is melted. I came home last night at 12. I couldn't fall asleep. I woke up this morning early. There's tons going on. I got to get to work right now to Hebron. You got to get to Jerusalem for, for a work meeting. And there's, there's kids and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, summertime. this is the last day of camp, which is yeah. terrifying. And it's also like it's also like super hot outside. So it's yeah. like it was it's very just, schwitzy in Tel Aviv. It was schwitzy in Tel Aviv, and it's easy to get dehydrated. And now on the rest of the show today, you're gonna actually hear some of my interviews with really very different people. Uh, I spoke with Diane Yeshua Pfeffer from Remote wow. about Haredi uh, um, uh, ultra orthodox involvement in culture and society i talked not with diane 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 like like jewish like judge a, ju- a judge in a based in right okay yes and then after that i talked with uh uh amichai shikli the knesset member from the uh, uh yamina party who defected and is now going right. over to the Likud. The uh i talked with uh, rabbi shlomo katz who also sang hatikva there uh, at the, and at the event and anima, I mean, by the way, there was like two thousand people. Look at my social media. There's like two thousand people plus. I think more actually three thousand people. They plus told the me end. they sold twenty five hundred tickets. Yeah, it was really it was really cool and it was fun and it was also frankly I also love opportunities to get down to Tel Aviv. Whenever I'm down there, I'm like we should chill there more. Maka, this summer it's our twentieth anniversary. Yes, I want to show. do some more chilling in, in Tel chillin'. Aviv. When do you chill? On my 20th anniversary with you in Tel Aviv. That's right. when, okay? That's when but is it going to be at. sweaty? Oh, yeah. It's going to be very sweaty. And that's, and that's Tel Aviv. Uh, but, uh, you know. Anyway, the point is, that's, that's, that's the beauty. Not here on the, uh, in the beautiful uh, uh, Judean. Mountains of Judea. That's right, nice where the wind, cool. that's right, the cool mountain wind here. Uh, Malka, um, one thing just in the news that's on my mind a little bit. I got Putin on the mind. Uh, 
Why is that funny? I don't know. Yeah. I'm put, got Putin on the mind. I got I Putin know, on the like putting on the Ritz. You know what I mean? Oh. You know, on the Ritz, and, and I'm a little, I'm a little bit uh, concerned about this. Uh, Putin had a tripartite meeting with uh, with himself, Erdogan, uh, and uh, I and uh, I forgot his name. He's the the new leader of Iran, Raisi, Raisi, maybe Raisi. He didn't meet with with Khomeini. He did not meet with Khomeini, but he did meet with Raisi. And uh, look, the conflict in Ukraine has caused a lot of anti-Russian backlash in uh, Europe and in the United States. Sometimes it seems like there's also, it's a devastating war that's happening here. And, and, and what's been done has been horrific. At the same time, like you have to be geopolitically smart. And if you're pushing your, your enemy further into the camp of China, Iran, and then maybe bringing Turkey along with oh, that. Oh, we don't need that. That's not that's not good for Israel. That's not that's not good for the world. Ostensibly, of course, these things it's hard to always predict. Although them. Israel's finally kind of friendlyish here with Turkey again. That's right. That's right. It could go the other way. I just the truth of the matter is like Iran could be an ally. Right. If you could just knock down some of those ayatollahs, then yeah. it would be a normal country again. You know. You know. La- I, me and Leah, I'm I'm sorry for all of you folks outside of the land of Israel that you can't watch. Tehran for free like we do here in Israel because it's an Israeli show so they have it on Khan 12 websites. Right, so it's like regular TV. Me and Leah, our daughter, uh, uh, we've been uh, watching. We've been like watching at night times. One episode a night because it's easy to binge so we don't Is do more. Is it clean enough to watch with your children? Yes, time? it's clean enough to watch with your children. You can, but sometimes, you know, you always have to monitor a little bit but, uh, but we've been watching Tehran season two and one of the Israeli Mossad agents says to the real bad guy when she like reveals himself she says to him in per- in farsi she says to him in persian she says to him these mullahs they're destroying our country because she's actually a, like a persian person she says to the she's a mossad agent uh, oh but she's acting as if she's a, a persian no no she's a oh they're destroying our country israel no she's she's a she's also persian She's an agent. I, I haven't been watching I didn't show. say she's an Israeli. I said she's an Israeli agent. Oh, she's, a per, she's a person. Oh. And she says to the bad guy, she says to him, to Faras, she says to him, she says, you know, these guys are destroying our country. Our beloved country, she says. She says, just as easily you and I could be working together for a better Iran. And then what does Faras say? And he says, he says, I'd rather die than work <gasps> with you. Oh. With, with, with the Israelis. But in oh. any case... But in any case, my, my, my point is, is why, that... Why did you tell us this? Because, because Iran could be, you know, we, we could have a strategic alliance with, with this, you know, gas and oil producing great ancient Persian state. But uh, in any case, I'm just telling you, it's on my radar screen. I'm like, I'm like watching this. I'm watching this thing and I'm wondering where it's going to go. And same thing with Putin. Like this guy five minutes ago was an ally, but now sadly... Uh, the the former Soviet Union, I'm, I'm using that specifically, is tr- is trying to slide back. There's a polarization again. Yeah, and 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 Russian anti-Semitism, which is a feature of of uh, of Russian Regular Eastern Orthodox, Russian life, yeah, right? is 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 back, and and also Jews are like leaving Russia, and and that just that bodes badly. I mean, it bodes goodly for for Israel because you know more Jews are coming here. Although I also hear that we're not doing our our job well enough to catch all of these Jews. I hear it from different corners. I heard it from when I was uh, meeting with the uh, uh, Moment of Wisdom my uh, like video production team, including two Russians from Ukraine. And they're like, yeah, my our friends 
are high tech folks and they are not being caught up here in Israel and they're just being being lapped up in high tech firms around the world. That's that's not cool. It's dumb. Any case, uh, last night was a night to talk about uh, Jewish values, conservative values. The the Ben Shapiro speech, which you're going to hear uh, on the show tonight, uh, today, tonight, what, uh, is, um, wherever, whatever, wherever, time, whatever zone time zone you're, you're listening in, uh, it has both, uh, as I said before, serious intellectual firepower about policy, but it also has tons of Torah. He weaved in tons of Torah, including the last sentence. Watch out for it, okay? <laughs> it's 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 a beauty. Watch it's to really, the end. Yeah, watch to the end. It's it's something beautiful. Uh, Maka, I do also want to uh, thank the the many good folks that make this show possible, uh, including JewishPress.com. Steve Levitt from JewishPress.com was there last night, uh, and they put out our show every week. And also our new strategic partners uh, for the show, Israel365.com, uh, were there. Uh, Rabbi Tully was there, and Shlomo Schreiber was there. And it was really fun to see them uh, reaching out to the world, to the Gentiles. So we got like the Jewish press reaching out to the Jewish world and Israel 365 reaching out to the non-Jewish world, lovers of Israel. That's really, really fun. Uh, And also check out one of their amazing products, which is The Israel Bible, theisraelbible.com. And if you put in coupon code Yishai, you know the drill. Bang, you get 10% off of God's holy word. Uh, So that's really fun. Um, That's theisraelbible.com. And uh, I want to thank the folks at Prohibition Pickle, prohibitionpickle.co.il, uh, which could have catered last night event, last night's that event. That would have been fun. Uh, they didn't. Uh, but you can do amazing catering here in Israel of events, of Shabbats, of Kiddushas, send packages. They go all over the country. They deliver. And I am really hungry right now. And that's causing me to salivate and to do bad radio because of that, because I am hungry right now. And I would like some Prohibition Pickle. I'd like to roll up a piece of salami, dip it in a little yummy yellow type mustard, and <laughs> have it with some. Well, diet you've been Coke. doing a good job being all like healthy food eating. Yes, and I have uh, thankfully, and in your prayers have helped. I've also lost some weight, uh, and uh, and I'm feeling really, really good, and that's fine. Oh, speaking of that, everyone also, out there should also feel really. That's really right. Good. I saw the Wallers also yesterday. Always at every like. Yeah, they they show up everywhere. Right, they show up there, and and what I'm excited about, folks is that the folks at Hayovel, Christian folks, Bible-believing folks, are going to be coming here to Israel right now. Uh, what, because for olive? For olive uh, not olive. For the grape harvest. Grape harvest time. The grape harvest. Woo! And I said to them that I shall be joining the grape harvest. <gasps> Take the kids. I, I will be joining the grape harvest here in Israel uh, with Hayovel this year. Just to, and, and he said to me, and so, you know, <laughs> one of the wallers says to me, says to me, uh, uh, you know, it's the Shemitah year. It's very special out there in the field. I mean, Aww. it takes it takes a Gentile, you know, <laughs> to tell you how to, like, goodly you, how yeah. goodly it is in the land. And he's like telling me, like, you know, it is it is the sabbatical year. It's very special here in the in the in, 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 in the grape fields. Special, special guys. So that's really great stuff. Uh, and also, I want to uh, talk about um, our new uh, our new sponsor of the show. Uh, which is uh, Retro Watch Guy. That's right, RetroWatchGuy.com, and also on Instagram. Follow them, Retro Watch Guy. Uh, beautiful watches, uh, including this beauty right now, which is um, um, a 1960s vantage parking meter timing. Vantage, like it. A what? It's a. It's a. It, it looks like a parking meter a little see. bit. Yeah. Hold on one second. Here it is. You'll see it. Hold on. We gotta go back. Here it is. You see, it's a beautiful oh, watch. Oh man, that's and pretty. it's got like a theme of a of a parking meter. It's that's very very nice. Yeah. Where and can I, you find the pictures of that? 
Uh, it's on. They they do a great job on Instagram. They really get Instagram. Retro watch guy. It's called. retro watch guy on and. Instagram. And it's very. It, it could easily be understood as something very shabbistic. That's a pretty. That's a really. Cool that's watch. a shabbistic watch. That is a shabbistic watch for sure. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I've got this thing against like Roman numerals. Yeah, that one. That, that one, one makes have the cut. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that one doesn't have Roman no, numerals? no Roman numerals. No, no Roman numerals. Regular. What are, numerals I, are those? Uh, they're not. They're non numeralish. They're just numbers. No, not numbers. They're, there's no new. See, Malcolm. You Wait, see, I didn't see, get it's, a good it's looking. just those are numbers. Isha. No, I'm looking at numbers right now. No, dude. The, oh, around the, the edge. Yeah, yeah. The the oh, hours. Yeah. Oh, those are little chip chicks. Yeah. So that's yeah. a retro watch guy. Get get yourself a watch. Get, uh, uh, get have your wife signal to her that you are like that's that's cool. Look at that. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, Sukkis is kind of coming up. Yeah, your birthday's Save coming up, up a little bit. It's always coming up every year around the same time, and so that's really neat. Um. So check out Retro Watch Guy, one of our fun new sponsors uh, of the show. And what else? Wow, I feel like there's something else. I feel like there's something. Oh, phooey. Um, I forgot to say that it's also, it was this week started with a fast day. Right. Which went real slow. And <laughs> it was uh, the 17th of Tammuz. We have now entered uh, the period of the three weeks, yes. uh, which is three weeks of, of mourning uh, for the Beit HaMikdash with gradations we're like in a low gradation right now where we're like you don't really you're not supposed to listen. And I, I say this also to the international Torah community out there who wants to know what's going on. Uh, the, the, the message from Israel, the message from Israel is right now it's a little bit of a time of, of a slight down. Why? Because uh, we are heading towards from the 17th of Tammuz from the destruction of the of the two tablets. Moses breaking the two tablets in the beginning of the siege on Jerusalem all the way to the destruction of the temple on the 9th of Av that we use the summer a little bit as a time also to reflect upon the temple, uh, the destruction of the temple, and of course, don't get stuck on the destruction of the temple. Get stuck on the rebuilding of the temple. It's not just about the destruction of the temple, though. Even though I don't want to, like, uh, modernize the holiday. It's also about, like, all the other stuff. Like, you're, you're not just supposed to think about the, the Beit HaMikdash, although it's certainly about the Beit HaMikdash. It's about all the stuff that causes us to lose our Beit HaMikdash. Right. All the things that, that we're not doing so well as a nation, the things we haven't done so well, uh, all the failures, really. Um, and you're supposed to reflect on those and try to fix that up so that we cannot be mourning the Beit HaMikdash anymore. 100%. And here's my message for... Uh, the international Torah community, Jews and Gentiles around the world that want to be connected to the uh, light of, 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 of God that's coming out from Zion. Uh, my message is, uh, I have a little task for all of you. One way or another, print, post, or put a model, a picture, a printout of the second temple in your house or office space somewhere. Why the second temple? Because there's no pictures of the third right, temple. And there's nice pictures of the second temple. So just write up the, you know, put it into Google second temple or whatever you want. And my friend uh, Yitzi, a J-Brick, actually, you can buy jbrick.com. You could buy a little Lego version of the second temple. Okay, totally worth it. Uh, J-Brick, uh, second temple, uh, check it out. There's like these 3D puzzles. There's 3D it. puzzles or just print it out. And here's my challenge to you magnetize it to your fridge, magnetize it to your door, whatever it is, put it somewhere in your life so that these three weeks you have an added consciousness of the temple in Yerushalayim. 
The temple is our temple. Oh, the temple oh. is a Jewish temple, but really the temple is everyone's temple. Oh, mommy, I add, I'm sorry, mommy. Uh, <laughs> mommy that's what I call you in front of the kids. Uh, I add that, uh, and I saw Lad over there walking around. Um, the Mahadran way to do it, the Mufchar, the yeah. better way, the best way to do it is to put that picture in the place that's in the direction of Jerusalem. Meaning Ooh, to say, in your house, Mizrach, Mizrach. It could be whatever, whatever, wherever you live. I, I don't know if you live in Antarctica or wherever you live. Make sure that you know the direction to Jerusalem and put that picture of the temple in, in that way so that when you face it, you are Ooh, facing your shalim and the temple. That is nice, the highest nice, way to nice, do nice, that. Nice, 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 and nice. all of you, okay, I'm adding one more level. For all Jews and Gentiles, all Jews and Gentiles in your workplace, in your home space, figure out the, the exact direction, and there are apps for that. Figure out the exact direction to Jerusalem. Mark it out in some kind of way. Know it in your life where Jerusalem is. If you know that, you have done a lot. And I want you to know that we, especially Jews, we have a commandment to face Jerusalem when we pray. There are great apps for that, and it is important to be exacting, exacting about this. Face your your face and your body and your soul towards Jerusalem. Maka, we're out of time. Yes. And the, the show keeps going with a lot of fun interviews. And stick around for Ben Shapiro's speech. It's really something very special. And uh, God bless you, Malka. God Shabbat bless you. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Everyone should just be safe, be healthy out there. All right. Lots of love and lots of blessings from the land of blessings. And Shalom. Rabbi Yoshua Pfeffer is the first guest that I'm interviewing here at the pre-party at the CPAC event in Hangar 11, Tel Aviv, Israel. Ben Shapiro's coming tonight. A lot of folks are coming tonight. But Rabbi Yeshua Pfeffer from the Tikva Fund, uh, a rabbi in remote of a beautiful congregation, a scholar, a Dayan, which means a Jewish judge, uh, and also the head of a, a, another organization, I forgot the name, which is Haredi, bringing them into modernity type of thing. No, not exactly, but Tarikh uh, which is a intellectual journal, by Haredim for Haredim and trying to explain or at the very least articulate a internal Torah or Haredi position on important issues of policy whether it's internally whether it's in the state of Israel whether it's in the big ideas of humanity for the entire world so Rabbi Yeshua Pfeffer you're a rabbi a dayan, but we're at a, a, a bit of a party it's also the three weeks we're in Tel Aviv this is not where you're usually found Tell me a little bit about why we're why you think we're here, and do you think there's any values for us to, to be here? Are you are you today broadcasting or receiving? What's the deal? Well, I just think that the issues that, for example, commentators like Ben Shapira are engaged with are issues that we cannot uh, we cannot afford to ignore. You know, somebody told me just today. I was writing recently. I published an article about the abortion issue in the United States, and somebody said you know what, why are you getting into this? It's their problem. We don't have this problem, so why do you have to address this issue at all? Why is it interesting? Just stay out of it. And my response was, we don't have that luxury. We cannot stay out of it because the issues that are coming up, the moral issues, the deeply divisive issues that are going on in the United States, they influence us directly. And you know what, we don't even want to stay out of them. I think it's a privilege to be able to be involved in them and to bring a Torah perspective, to bring a Jewish perspective. These are big issues that are deeply meaningful to millions around the world, but certainly to millions here in Israel. And, and that's why I'm here also, because I feel that to be a part of this issue, this conversation, this dialogue, is somewhere where we need to be. I feel that we can bring a special voice. I don't think there are many other Haredim over here, 
But Haredi society is a tremendously has tremendous potential if they would apply themselves to these issues more. And it's happening, and it's very important. So, so what you're really saying is, and this is something that Ben Shapiro is really doing, is that there's a battle out there, a culture war. And a culture war has in it, it's not just one side or another side, there's also, well, there's other sides. And there's information that Judaism, an ancient religion, an ancient peoplehood with ancient wisdom, could also supply, for example, for the abortion issue. Uh, and we have something to say. And, and there's, there's something happening in the world where, since the Jewish people are coming back to their land, more people are t- turning their ears towards us and saying, what, what do you have to say? Especially people that are more biblically oriented. But is that what you're saying, that, that, that Judaism has what to say on these issues? Or be, maybe not in the cultural war, but in the cultural mix? Is that, is that in a sense what you're doing here today? Bringing in the Haredi voice into a conservative discussion which has a global influence? Well, I would say, you know, you're taking it to a place that I definitely agree with, so I'm happy to just react to that. And that is that, you know, Israel, as a nation-state of the Jewish people, needs to be involved in the broader discussion, dialogue, over these tremendously important, crucial issues for the future of humanity generally, not just for the Jews. And part of the raison d'etre of the Jewish people is to be an oligoyim. Now, if we're going to be a light a lighthouse for the rest of the world, then we have to first of all set ourselves straight. What do we believe in and how are we going to implement to realize our vision in Israel? And of course, only then can that vision actually be something which might be useful or might have influence over everyone else. But first of all, we need to be ahead of the game. We can't always be responsive. Often, it's people on the other side of the fence who are going to bring in the values and then they shift the arena, they shift the language, they shift the conversation, and then we need to react. And that's not a good place to be. We need to be proactive and not reactive. And I think that having an event like this and having it in a distinctly, you know, the the, the more people here who are prominently on the the side of of trying to really uh, uh, thrash out a Jewish approach, thinking about what we believe over here, then the more this can be significant. And, And that's why I'm here. The irony, though, is that the ultra-Orthodox are generally considered and understood to be insular, almost, almost by design. That, uh, that, that's very true. And that's because they're afraid, and justifiably so, of the cultural influence and the values influence of things happening from the outside. However, today, it's not that you know, some people are dragging them out of that insularity. They're going by themselves out of that insularity because of force of nature, whether it's because of the size of Haredi society, whether it's because of internet, whether it's because of a myriad factors, education, you name it. And once you're in the arena, then you'd better be ready. If you're in that arena without being ready, then you're going to absorb those ideas coming in from the outside, from the media, from academia, from the, spa- from the air that you breathe from culture, it's all there. And therefore, you need to be ready with your opinions. You need to be ready with something to say. You have to be able to articulate your way of life in a way that's able to hold conversation with what's going on. And the trouble is that many are not able to do that, and that's why it's so crucial. But what you're saying, though, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of a problem with that. I don't mean a problem in terms of moral values. I mean a problem uh, in, in terms of actually living what you're saying. What you're admitting to is that the other culture wants to seep in and undermine your culture. So if you're going to engage in it, it's almost like you have to steal yourself. But that's not really how culture generally works. 
culture in many ways is music and food and 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 it's not this um you're almost saying like it's a chessboard and i have to kind of steal myself in preparation for going in there in order to effectuate my vision in this world and you see what i'm saying it's it's more battle right. lines right. I, than I'm culture saying, but let me i'm just saying something else a little bit if you're able to isolate in terms of the culture then good for you meaning i'm not i'm not for cultural assimilation on the contrary don't watch the movies don't listen to the music i'm fine with that right but even if you're culturally isolated you're going to be exposed to those ideas because they seep in wherever you go if you're outside those protective walls you're going to be exposed and therefore you need to be ready now happens to be true that even on a cultural level it's very hard to escape this so i'm not saying you should go head in and jump into this the cultural sea of the, of the of the poisoned uh, uh poisoned west however you're going to be exposed that is the fact of the matter and therefore we need to develop this internal thought enabled in, uh, in order to be able to actually uh try to handle try to cope with that challenge well it's an interesting question about Haredi culture and the broader culture it's not a simple dance a very prominent example of that of course is Stissel uh a television show that had a global impact almost surprisingly but to me your case that you brought in which is your commentary on the abortion issue that to me makes a lot of sense here's jewish wisdom here's study jewish wisdom it's compiled over 3800 years of knowledge and let me share it with you while you guys have your very strong and strident debate i got something to share with you it's jiminy cricket it's a consciousness it's a, it's a it's a voice in the ear it's a, it's a whisper that says hey here's how you should guys should consider it that i very much understand where the haredi world would would be an additive to that or where a person like you rabbi yeshua fefer dayan yeshua fefer would have uh, an impact right i i would mention i think stissel clearly that's not haredi culture stissel is a, a secular production about haredi but i think it demonstrates a certain openness meaning stissel would not have existed 20 years ago because then the atmosphere was very antagonistic there was a lot of friction between the haredim and the rest and today the fact that a series like stissel which portrays the haredim in a neutral way even in a positive way is a sign that there's a certain openness of hearts there's a certain openness of minds to listen to be able to engage and perhaps that's a positive way to uh look at the future with this openness it certainly opened a lot of people to even listening to that voice and being like it's actually opened people to be like that person is smart he's got something to share with me he's not a, a, an alien in my world i can i can he has feelings like me she has feelings like me and they deal with issues that again impact i could i could learn something from them i i agree and that's happening across israeli society because more and more haredim are entering the broader society on a very on a whole variety of levels and that's happening not through stessa but through real life and i think that um it's a nice nice way to end our brief interview on a positive note that there's very good be. rabbi uh, rabbi dayan yeshua fefer thank you very much and i think i think actually it's interesting that you're my first interview since this is a conference about conservatism that's one of the uh, organizers there gave me a kiss in the face that's uh, my friend jay uh, who's one of the organizers here but in any case it's a it's a conservatism conference and what's more conservative than haredi jury yeah they they they're very conservative absolutely but you have to articulate that conservative way of life in a way that can be uh in a way that can also be in conversation with in dialogue with the ideas in the world and that's uh, part of why we're here thank you ravish shai good to see you All right folks interview number 2 here uh at the CPAC conference conservative pack conference and we are uh in Tel Aviv the beautiful hangar 11 
and I'm with one of the stars of Israeli politics. His name is Amichai Shikli, but it's more than politics. Today it's also about culture, conservative culture. I just saw you, uh, Amichai Shikli, is a Knesset member for the Yamina party, but now left the Yamina party, maybe going to Likud. But I promised him that we wouldn't talk politics, politics, <laughs> and I promised that I'm going to keep to it. Uh, much more interesting to me is the question of conservative values in Israel. Uh, you know, conservative is an American-type language. What, how do you translate that into Israeli speak? How do, you, how do we say that? And if you, by the way, don't have a word in English, just say it in Hebrew, I'll translate for you. No, so in Israel we use the term conservative, we say shamranim. Uh, me, myself, I'm, I don't like the fact that the left governs the language. And it's, uh, uh, an, it's a phenomenon that we see in the U.S., but also in Israel, maybe more in Israel. Uh, basically, here in Israel, the left shapes the narrative with the academia, with very strong and powerful NGOs, with uh, money coming from sometimes from uh, uh, the EU and other countries, and we need basically to respond. And here, what we can see tonight with CPAC and Shibolet and Tikva Foundation and other organizations is an attempt to challenge the fight over the language, which is the serious fight, the philosophical fight. So here we do use the term conservative, and we say shamranim. And but is that a term that's attractive to Israelis? Okay, that's it. Not really, because in right. Israel, the term liberal, that represents freedom, and, and Western values is very, very strong. And when you say liberalism uh, or de democracy, it, in here in Israel, it's an asset. It is a very strong asset in the, in the mainstream, uh, uh, let's say, the public atmosphere and unlike America that democracy is for the left and liberal liberal is on the left and I think we should fight to keep the terms democracy and liberalism with the right wing because if you go deep into the concept of democracy the left in Israel do not recognize the very core idea of democracy and it does not recognize the core idea of liberalism. So, in English I would say, me myself, I'm a conservative liberalist. Unlike progressive liberalist, which is a fake liberalism. And that's how I see the challenge. Okay, but if we're talking about language, let's like, say Jewish and democratic, I try not to use that word. Because the word democratic there a lot of times means empower let's say the Arabs in the country in a way that they can kind of take it over instead of saying hey this is a Jewish state this is a Jewish national state just say that don't be embarrassed about that yeah. and, and so therefore when they say Jewish and democratic I say those are really two conflicting values in some way because what they mean is to undermine the Jewish character of the state stick in dem democratic they don't mean everybody gets a voice they mean globalist leftist values cut away our land create a Palestine etc etc so I think we are a Jewish, we are a democratic state because we are a Jewish state. I think that Judaism represents the idea of the freedom of men, the freedom of, of, of uh, the values of freedom. And therefore, I don't see the contradiction between a Jewish state and a democratic state. I think it goes together. And here in Israel, people tend to mix the... Um, let's say, civil rights and national rights. So when it comes to civil rights, there is absolutely no difference between a Jew and an Arab. We are all 
equal as citizens. But on the national sphere, it is a national state of the Jewish people and only the Jewish people. And when it comes to national rights, the idea of a nation state is that the nation state belongs to the nation. So uh, it's, it, it, you will see it in the symbols on the calendar, uh, uh, the anthem, um, the main language, etc., etc. But, but that's it. And then it goes to everybody's own decisions how to live his own life. I'm Amichai, just one last question. Uh, tell me just for a second about yourself. B'Ktsarai, in short, where are you from? Who are, you, who are your parents? What kind of Jew are you? Sure. So I grew up in the Galil. Uh, I grew up in Jerusalem. So I live now in the Galil, grew up in Jerusalem. Both my parents made Aliyah from France. Originally, my father came from Tunisia. I served in the Golani Brigade uh, for almost a decade. And then in the reserves for almost another decade. I spent half of my professional career on education, Zionist and Jewish education. I think that eventually everything goes back to education, culture, core values, and that was my main mission in the previous episode. And now in the Knesset, the idea is also how can we bring Jewish values uh, into the politics? How can we keep safe the land of Israel? How can we protect places like Hebron, like Shiloh, like Mount Eval, how can we win the battle with the Palestinians, not just in terms of power, but philosophical and, and morally, how can we challenge this battle, and above all, how can we win the battle between us, the Jews, and the progressive empire that is trying to conquer the world with its own, I think, twisted, distorted values. Uh, 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 and I think that if you go to the top of the, the root of this discussion, this debate, is how do we refer to the concept of truth? Does, is there any truth in the world? Yes or not? Progressive will say everything is relative. There is no truth. We are just mutara adam mina ein. Yeah, we are just like, I don't know, sophisticated cows. And the Jewish culture would say, the Jewish philosophy would say, there is only one truth. Yes, we don't have the access to this truth, but because there is truth, there is good and there is bad, and we have a choice. And freedom is what makes us <clears throat> humans and what makes, gives us the ability to choose right over wrong. And that, I think, is the, 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 the deepest battle. And all the rest is just... On top of the, of the, on top of the water. Amichai Shikli, very interesting thoughts. Thank you. And I told you, I keep it not political. We did it. Thank you for joining me at CPAC. All right, here I'm at the CPAC gathering in Tel Aviv, and I'm sitting next to Rabbi Shlomo Katz. And there's people on stage, but they're talking about stuff, whatever. So yeah, it's good stuff. We're in the front, front, front row, all the way on the right, Literally. though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really cool that this is a great event. The house is packed. You're going to sing. You're going to sing Hatikva. You're going to sing Hatikva here. And Animamin in front of this, like, 2,000 people thing. Uh, that's, that's awesome. And you demanded that, right? Well, I was asked just for Hatikva. And then when I, when I offered, the truth is when I said, you know, my, my thing is that 
to me, like we say in Gemara, ha behatalia, they each dependent on each other, meaning hatikva and animamin, the national pride anthem, together with our ancestral national pride anthem, which is the belief in the coming of Mashiach during the three weeks to be able to be privileged to sing that here with. I think there's even more. I think there's more like 2,800 people. It's actually right. mobbed here. Yeah. I, I'm so humbled by this event and the privilege to sing about what matters with such beautiful hearts. I'm, I'm giving you permission, Ryan, to go into If you get permission. Just go right into it. If the tomato gets chucked at me, I'll direct it towards your, uh, your direction. We have a Shabbat Prashat uh, Matot, and that means that really uh, it's the head of the tribes and the beginnings of the laying out of the, pro- the property of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. One of the biggest issues around in general is uh, we're talking about conservative values and the culture war. And the, the culture war is incredibly important. Part of that culture war is also the, the effort to rip away the Jewish land from the from the people of Israel. People here in this room mostly believe that Jews have a right to their land. In this room. Yeah. In this room, right? But not in this where we are right now, just Tel Aviv. Right. right. Not yet. Not yet. I think that our the beginning of the parsha helps us understand put things into context. The war we have to fight in this parsha is a war against a nation called Midian. Now they messed with us many times over the years. But in Chasidut they say that Midian comes from the letters Dinion imagination. Today, people can imagine that they're bats and you have to refer to them as bats. The whole self-identify. Self-identify. The whole problem that we have within the nation is that we're using our dimion in an unholy way. All we have to do is to go back to initial Jewish dimion, Jewish imagination, which was prophecy, and just hear what we've been hearing for many, 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 many years. Just go to the land which I'll show you. I'll be there waiting for you. But it's about us waging war against that nation that represents the abuse and perversion. That's what I would call it. The abuse and perversion of, of imagination in this world, which in a place like here tonight, I feel like most people here are pretty set on, on the clarity of that matter. Well, what's conservative values? In, 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 in simple terms, it's the the derech the path of our fathers and mothers it's it's the imagination of the past maybe with imagination of, of a future like you said animamin for future of Mashiach but it's with guided with the principles of the past that's basically the idea correct the, and any time we've tried to go another way it may have been exciting for like a few minutes and we're all very it's very clear where we ended up whether it be inquisitions gas chambers uh, being ex- uh, exiled from homes but what not. It really is about going back to basics, which I feel like this night, this is what this night's all about. This is what the journey to Eretz Yisrael is all about. This is what the three weeks are all about as well. Remember why you're here. Remember what, you're, remember what the focus is. Keep, stay the focused. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get into that. It's the three weeks, which is sometimes a basa, a, a, a not such fun time. The three weeks is the... A time between the 17th of Tammuz to the 9th of Av, and we have gradations of mourning for the for the broken temple and also for the broken uh, Ten Commandments, the Luchot Abrit. Uh, sometimes it's a bit of a bummer because it's like in the middle of the summer, and uh, when times and yeah, when you have kids, it's like soon you know the nine days we can't swim, and it's just like sometimes you want to go to the rabbis and be like, come on, can we can we do a little bit away with this thing? On the other hand, mourning is also a way to get back to reality, to get a little bit uh, loosened from materialism. I was talking to a guy here, and I said to him, 
uh, if you want to fix America, one of the first things I would do would fix Memorial Day. Cry on Memorial Day, I said to him. Don't be shopping and... and, 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 and yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, cry for the fallen. Like, have respect and honor for the fallen. And that's a, a kind of way, that's what we're doing There's th- during these three weeks. So should we get rid of the three weeks a little bit? Should we cut it down or, or should we double down on it? So for those that aren't watching this, but they're just hearing it, which is everybody, why am I smiling? You saw the last question. Because I feel like it's my opportunity to be a shtickle, which means a little bit of a Yishai Fleischer right now. Why? Because this year I've been more tuned in than ever than the wink that's within the morning. The what? The winking. The, the wink. wink? Yeah. I feel like we all know... We Did you say woke? The woke with it? Us? No. God forbid. The, the, the wink. W-I-N-K. The wink is that we're back. And Be'ezrat Hashem, we're back for good. And you could smell redemption in the air. Ah, it's not fully here yet. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we know that. And that's why on the surface, things have to be what they are. But anyone that has a good Jewish nose... <laughs> And that means the, that, that the fragrance is, you know, on, can understand that we're right there. And it's like a wink we have with God. It's like, you got to keep on doing this for a bit more. We're winking because we're doing We're not going to cry like it was before 70 years ago because my children and your children are being born in Yerushalayim Yerakodesh. And there's this, like, romantic buzz that I feel right now in the air. You know, and you can feel that. The, the most, uh, the most um, uh, uh, strong manifestation of that is on Tisha B'Av at night at the Kotel, where it's like you want to be mourning, and you are, but you're also like meeting everybody, and there's like a, there's just an awesome energy of getting together in Yerushalayim and waiting for something. Yeah, I would say that it's in, it's in other places as well. I take great pride, great pride in the community that I have the privilege of, of running and being part of because my chevra, we sit and we sing throughout half of Tisha B'Av. Now the songs aren't yet as joyous as they could be, but they're the in-between stage that is very similar to what you described that's happening at the Kotel. We're meeting Hashem, we're meeting God in a very intimate way, but with that wink of like, yeah, boys and girls, it's, it's happening. Well, I have a feeling that your rendition tonight of Hatikva together with Ani Mamin is definitely going to move this crowd. Uh, and they're going to, the CPAC folks, who know how to inspire? Uh, who, they know how to inspire. inspired me. Yeah, they know how to do stuff. And I've seen them in America when they're with their crowd. They know how, what they're doing. But they're going to be inspired by uh, that ancient vision coming true in our time and our ancient values uh, coming to fruition. Uh, in this new state in Tel Aviv, <laughs> this modern and old coming together. Rabbi Shlomo Katz, thanks so much. Enjoy CPAC. Thank you, Yishe. Thank you to all our brothers and sisters everywhere. Our countries have something profound and vital in common. They are both gifts from God, blessed by Him, founded in liberty, consecrated to the idea that He is present in history and that He guides history toward His ends. As George Washington said in his first inaugural address, no people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the these of the United States. And as Menachem Begin told Jimmy Carter, what you have just heard about the Jewish people's inherent rights to the land of Israel may seem academic to you, theoretical, even moot, but not to my generation. To my generation of Jews, these eternal bonds are indisputable and incontrovertible truths old as recorded time. They touch upon the very core of our national being. But 
But it's fair to say our countries also have much that differentiates us. And so tonight, I want to talk about something deeply important. What Israel can learn from America and what America can learn from Israel. So let's begin with what Israel can learn from America. Israel is an amazing country. Despite a complete lack of natural resources, a tiny land area located in one of the most dangerous parts of the planet, and a total population of 9.2 million people, Israel has the 20th highest GDP per capita on planet Earth. Despite its small size, Israel has one of the most effective and efficient and moral militaries on planet Earth, and one of the most technologically advanced as well. Israel ranks 13th in the world in unicorns, those are billion-dollar startups, and more startups per capita than any country on the planet. This is all due to the intelligence, hard work, and social capital of the people of Israel. Because it really is certainly not due to the economic system of Israel, which is kind of a dumpster fire. And this is the first thing that Israel can learn from America. Free market economics is a very, very good thing. Free markets work to strengthen the living standards of your people. America's dynamism is the result of a tax structure that benefits investment. Precisely the reverse is true in Israel. In Israel, the overall tax burden equates to 30.5% of total domestic income. In the United States, by contrast, the overall tax burden equals 24.5% of total domestic income. In Israel, the top individual income tax rate is 50%, and it kicks in really, really low. In America, it is 37%. In Israel, the top corporate tax rate is 23%. In America, it's 21%. In Israel, the top capital gains tax rate is 25% if derived by non-controlling shareholders and 30% for everybody else. In the United States, the capital gains tax rate is 15%. There is a reason that people flee Israel to avoid the taxes. And that doesn't even count Israel's value-added tax, which is 17% on goods and services. There's a reason, unfortunately, that a lot of people from Israel leave Israel in order to do business in the United States. And that needs to stop. This brings us... This brings us to the second thing that Israel can learn from America, the second problem, the vast, the vast bureaucratization of the Israeli system. Americans avoid bureaucracy like the plague. America's regulatory environment, particularly in conservative-controlled states like Florida, is cheap and easy. To build a new home in Florida takes a few thousand bucks in legal fees and filing, and resident, and filing fees. A residential construction permit might take somewhere between five and seven days for a response. It might take a grand total of six to nine months to actually build a home in the state of Florida. To build in Israel takes years upon years. On average, according to the World Bank circa 2017, it took 15 procedures and 209 days just to deal with a construction permit in the state of Israel. There is red tape, and then there is more red tape, and then there is still more red tape. Every issue has to be run through several different departments, none of which seem to talk to each other, unless you happen to have a brother-in-law who went to the Technion with somebody. And if you fall afoul of the law in Israel, or even if you're suspected of doing so, it's shoot first, ask questions later. Your bank account can be frozen, your assets can be confiscated, all without showing guilt. There's a reason that the World Bank ranks Israel 75th in the world in ease in registering property, 28th in the world in starting a business, 85th in the world in enforcing contracts. Which brings us to the third big problem, and the third big thing that Israel can learn from America. The unions must be broken.
Nearly one quarter of Israel's workforce is unionized. That's actually way down from the year 2000, thank God, when approximately 45% of all employees in Israel were unionized. But 65% of the public sector is unionized. In fact, overall, some one-fifth of all Israeli employees work for the public sector, which is well above the average for the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development. Work stoppages are commonplace. They happen literally all the time. And the number of disputes and strikes and their costs are way above the OEC average. In the United States, more and more states have been adopting right-to-work laws designed at taking away special union privileges, freeing up people to work when and how they want. In Israel, unfortunately, the public sector unions punch way above their weight politically, and politicians are simply afraid to cross them. Which does raise the problem of how Israel's government runs. The chief problem here is not actually the political gridlock, which seems pretty common in most Western countries these days. The biggest problem is that an unelected bureaucracy seems to run an inordinate amount of policy in the state of Israel. That's because where the United States has an independent judiciary selected by the executive branch and confirmed by the legislature, Israel has a self-selected judicial branch that actually acts as a merger of the executive and the legislative branches. Thanks to the constitutional revolution of 1992, the Israeli Supreme Court can now rule out of bounds perfectly legal acts of Knesset, leaving an unelected, unaccountable set of oligarchs in charge of national policies in the name of a non-existent constitution. What makes this particularly terrible is a couple of things. First, the fact that the Knesset never even gave this power to the Supreme Court in the first place. And second, the fact that the Supreme Court picks its own successors, which is totally insane. In the United States, again, the president, elected by a majority of the Electoral College, selects justices to interpret a written constitution. Those justices are then confirmed by elected officials in the United States Senate. In Israel, the Supreme Court judges are appointed by the President of Israel from a list submitted by three Supreme Court judges, two cabinet ministers, one being the Minister of Justice, two Knesset members, and two representatives of the Israel Bar Association. <laughs> Approval requires seven of the nine members of the committee, which means that the left-wing Supreme Court has complete veto power over anybody who is too moderate. Just as bad, Israel's Attorney General is selected by unelected bureaucrats, including a retired judge from the Supreme Court, a former Justice Minister or Attorney General, a Knesset member chosen by the Constitutional Affairs Committee of the Knesset, and an attorney chosen by the Israel Bar Association. I don't know where they got all this power, the Bar Association. And a legal expert chosen by university law schools in Israel. None of this makes any sense. It's totally crazy. The attorney general has a six-year term and veto power over Knesset legislation. Precisely none of this is what a judiciary is designed to do. Alexander Hamilton wrote of the Supreme Court of the United States that its job was to interpret the laws, not to make the laws. He wrote in Federalist 78, the courts must declare the sense of the law if they should be disposed to exercise will instead of judgment, the consequence would equally be the substitution of their pleasure to that of the legislative body. The observation, if it proves anything, would prove there ought be no judges distinct from that body. Israel has adopted precisely the opposite principle to its own detriment. So, in short, America's governmental system is better than Israel's and it's not particularly close. Okay, so. Now let's talk about the flip side of the coin. What can America learn from Israel? What can America learn from Israel? A tiny country of 9.2 million people, as opposed to a country of 330 million people? A new country established within living memory of many human beings? What can the most powerful country in the history of the world learn from a country with enemies on all of its borders? A country routinely described as at existential risk? A country about whom major political forces promote the possibility that it ought to cease to exist entirely? Well, the answer is that Israel has quite a lot to teach America. In the main, America has one major thing to learn from Israel, that a nation state must have at its heart a nation.
And what that really means is that America has to learn from Israel the necessity of common history, common culture, and common destiny. It's a truism of politics that when you're too close to something, you see the complicated inner workings. Nobody likes to see how the sausage is made. From the inside, Israel has to look like a roiling country of disagreements and conflicts, of dislike and antipathy, of unbridgeable gaps where nobody gets along. From the outside, which is where I live, here is what Israel actually looks like. A country more solid in its identity than nearly any country on planet Earth. Rabbi Yosef Bar Soloveitchik famously spoke on Yom Hatzma'ut in 1956 at YU in New York. In that speech, he talked about the two covenants that bind the nation of Israel. Brit HaGaral, the covenant of fate, and Brit Yehud, the covenant of destiny. According to Rabbi Soloveitchik, the nation of Israel was bound by a covenant of fate, a, quote, strange force merging all individuals into one unity. A Jew, said the Rav, quote, cannot banish the God of the Jews from his world. Even if he desecrates the Shabbat, defiles his table and his bed, tries to deny his identity, he will not escape the dominion of the God of the Jews, which follows him like a shadow. That is the story of the Jews for over three millennia, a people bound together by common history and common culture. Whether Jews come from Russia, like my family, or Morocco, like my wife's, whether they come from Spain or Ethiopia, Jews share that common fate. They share a common history, a history that begins with Avram Avinu, and it's passed down generation to generation until the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai to Moshe Rabbeinu, a history that spans from the destruction of the first temple in 586 CE to the liberation of Yerushalayim in 1967, a history that links the study halls of Yavna with the Shivot of Lithuania with the Talmud classes of Yerushalayim, a history that carries forward from the Egyptian exodus to the ingathering of the exiles over the course of the last 150 years, and a history that connects from the Spanish Inquisition to the pogroms of Tsarist Russia to Kristallnacht to anti-Semitic pogroms in Lod. A history that links the martyrdom of Rabbi Akiva with the martyrdom of our great-grandparents and grandparents and parents and brothers and sisters in the Holocaust. A history that joins the vows of Paro to the vows of Haman to the vows of Hitler to the vows of the Ayatollahs and Hamas and Hezbollah to wipe the Jews from the planet. We can pretend that history doesn't exist or that the world's Jew haters have moved suddenly beyond their hatred for the Jews. After all, they assure us that the Jews no longer need a state of their own, that we live in a more tolerant, kind age, that if only the Jews would give up their stubborn insistence on survival as a nation, everything would just be fine. Of course, these are precisely identical to the same people who make excuses for people who attack Jews at supermarkets in France and on the streets of Brooklyn and at checkpoints in Yehuda. Haman had the same complaints, quote, there's a certain people scattered and separate among the peoples throughout all the provinces of your kingdom, and their laws differ from those of every people. So here's the thing. We can ignore history, but we ignore it at our own peril, because history does not ignore the Jews, ever. Israelis understand Brit HaGaral in a unique way. They understand it because history is around them at all times. They can run from it. They can pretend that America's, that Israel's enemies will suddenly put down their arms, that if Israel abandons Hebron or the Gaza Strip or East Jerusalem, that magically history will end. But history doesn't end. And increasingly, Israelis have realized this. They realize that the historic tide between the Jews and the land of Israel cannot be severed even when it is broken. That no matter how much Israel may want to be the same as other nations, it will never be so. As God told the Jewish people, and I shall take unto me, I will take you unto me for a people, and I will be to you God. Israelis understand this. They understand Jewish nationhood. 
The single best indicator of this fact is the fertility rate in Israel. It's truly an unbelievable fact. Israel, because it is comprised of people who understand the worth of their nation and its need for survival, represents the only Western country with a fertility rate above replacement rates. The only one. In fact, I mean, this is, it's truly an amazing stat when you think about it. In fact, even the most politically left-wing areas of Israel reproduce at higher rates than other countries. In Tel Aviv, the fertility rate is 2.49. In Haifa, the fertility rate is 2.35. And as you would expect in Yehuda Vishomron, the fertility rate is 4.58. Israel is a growing nation with a commitment to its own survival. By the way, just to put those numbers in context, the reproduction rate in Japan is 0.9. The reproduction rate in the United States is 1.6. Okay, so when I say that Israel's an outlier, I mean it is a wild outlier. Okay, then there is Brit Ya'ud, the second covenant, Rabbi Soloveitchik describes the covenant of destiny this way. He says, quote, The beginnings of the congregation are embedded in the tradition of the people's ancestors at the dawn of its existence. Its end is rooted in a common vision of the end of days. The people of the congregation are witnesses to the events that have passed and to the miraculous future that has not yet arrived. The congregation encompasses not only those who are alive today, but everyone who has lived and who will live from the dawn of humanity until the end of days. The dead who have passed on are still alive within the confines of the congregation, and those destined to be born are already alive within its jurisdiction. A congregation is a holy nation that does not fear fate and does not live against its will. It believes in its own destiny and of its free will sanctifies itself for its realizations. That's Brit Hagaral. Israelis share a common destiny, and they know this. It is embedded in their founding documents. It is embedded in the national anthem literally titled Hatikva, the hope that is 2,000 years old to be a free nation in our land, the land of Zion Yerushalayim. It is embedded in Israel's nation-state law, which calls for Jewish immigration and the ingathering of exiles, development of Jewish settlement as a national value, the Jewish Shabbat and festivals as established days of rest in the state, and which acknowledges that the state of Israel is the nation-state of the Jewish people, in which it fulfills its natural, religious, historic right to self-determination. Israel is inextricably intertwined with the destiny laid forth for it in the biblical history that lays out its entire reason for being, to be a nation that embraces the book of the covenant saying, Naseh v'nishma. So what does that commitment entail? It entails a recognition that Israel has its own unique mission, a mission to recognize the special connection between Israel and the land, to fulfill the promise that if Israel keeps God's covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, you shall be to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now look, this doesn't mean the state of Israel ought to be a theocracy. It does mean that the state of Israel must always be connected to its Jewish roots. And it must be bound by the central principles of Judaism. <laughs> to be a light unto the nations through virtue and responsibility, a beacon to the world through freedom and duty. Indeed, God keeps his promises. Israel is a nace. It's a tiny outpost of freedom and democracy and virtue in a region filled with tyranny and horror. It's a technological powerhouse bringing new solutions and innovations to the planet. It has developed one of the two most moral militaries on planet Earth, along with my home country of the United States. So this is what America can learn from Israel. It can remind itself that its exceptionalism, its unique place among the nations, is not a coincidence. America can remind itself that it, too, has covenants of fate and covenants of destiny. 
America can remember that it was founded as a nation rooted in certain principles, the principles of Judeo-Christian morality on the one hand and the promises of the Declaration of Independence on the other. America can remember her own history and refuse to allow it to be undermined. And America can recognize her unique destiny, a destiny explained by Benjamin Franklin in his remarks to the Constitutional Convention of 1787, quote, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? Indeed, America has spread freedom to more people than any nation in the history of the world. It has spread prosperity to all corners of the globe. America has liberated hundreds of millions and fed billions. That is because America is the greatest country in world history. America has a special history and it has a special purpose. But here's the thing, but here's the thing. America is forgetting that history and that purpose. In fact, that history and purpose are being purposefully undermined by many people who despise what America stands for and who wish to substitute utopias of their own for covenantal destiny America represents. America is plagued with the view, common throughout universities and the media and major parties, won't mention any names, crammed down by bullied corporations, that the United States was born in sin and corrupted through and through. That America is the country of slavery and racism, not the, com not the country of liberty and tolerance. That America's Judeo-Christian heritage are the source of bigotry and evil. And that those traditions have to be replaced by the cult of individual feelings subsidized by society. That America has no business on the world stage because it's imperialistic and exploitative. Those viewpoints have actually split America right down the middle between a country that sees the American flag and feels pride and a country that sees the American flag and kneels in shame. Between a country that thinks that America was always great and a country that thinks America has never been great. Between a country that believes in absolute truths and accepted moral wisdom, truths like the simple fact that men and women exist and are not malleable categories, and moral wisdom like support for traditional heterosexual marriage and childbearing. Split with a country that believes that my truth trumps the truth, and that accepted moral wisdom is merely discriminatory dogmatism, that men can be women, women can be men, both can be chickens, and the summit of human existence lies in the subjective sexual self-definition of each and every individual. Between a country that believes that America's destiny can only be fulfilled if it holds true to founding ideals, and a country that believes America's destiny can only be fulfilled if America abandons those ideals in favor of a new approach to the world in which the only thing that matters is a perverse authenticity at odds with reality and decency. It is no coincidence, by the way, that those who oppose American exceptionalism also oppose Israel. 71% of Republicans have a positive view of Israel compared with 44% of Democrats and independents who lean Democrat. A majority of those under the age of 30, heavily Democrat, some 56% have an unfavorable view of the state of Israel. That same group tends to fall heavily into the camp that believes American exceptionalism is evil. And that group is gaining ground extremely fast in the United States. So perhaps that's the last lesson that America can teach Israel. Do not let any of this crap happen here. For the love of God, do not let the left destroy the covenants of fate and destiny. Cling fast to your principles, cling fast to your history. Do not be led astray by those who bless themselves, saying in their hearts, I shall have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Instead, remember the covenants that make the Jewish nation and the Jewish state special. Recognize the principles that make Israel great are not far off from you. They are not in the heaven. They are not beyond the sea. 
They're embedded in your families, in your lives, in the lessons you've learned from your parents and from your grandparents and from their parents and from their grandparents all the way back to time immemorial. If you remember those principles, you will prolong your days upon this land. For America and for Israel, that is our life, that is the length of our days. America has never known exile, but the Jews have. And as Israel knows, failure has tragic, horrifying consequences. History is filled with pain and suffering, all brought on because Yeshurun got fat and kicked. But we have the capacity, Americans and Israelis alike, to choose a different path. We have the ability to choose life so that we and our children may live. Let us all choose life. If we do so, our enemies shall dwindle away before us, and we shall tread upon their high places. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. Just want to say goodbye and thanks again to all the folks that make this show happen. And here at the end, I do want to thank Yochevet Seidman, Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, and Lou, who I got to see yesterday, uh, at and his wife, who I got to see yesterday in beautiful uh, Tel Aviv at Hangar 11 at the Ben Shapiro event. Would love to hear from you folks. Do write me an email, yishaiyishaifleischer.com. If you do like today's show and you want to help a little bit by just giving a little love, showing your appreciation, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash yishai, buymeacoffee.com forward slash yishai. Uh, buy me a coffee. It's $5 for a cup of coffee, and it's a beautiful uh, way to show your appreciation and your connection because that's what the show is really all about. If you want to be part of my bigger projects, please go to, uh, to yishaifleischer.com and hit the donate page. And I, and I also uh, forgot to mention uh, one of the biggest sponsors of the show, and that is the Jewish community of Hebron, uh, H-E-B-R-O-N. We have an amazing website that helps us keep uh, Hebron strong. That's hebronfund.org, hebronfund.org. Uh, and right now in the summertime, we have incredible tours uh, given by the one and only Rabbi Simcha Hachbaum. Highly recommended. So it's hebronfund.org forward slash tour more than once a week, at least twice a week in the summertime. It's an awesome, awesome experience. Please join us. All right, folks, lots of love, lots of blessings from the land of blessings. Stay connected. Stay part of the story. Write me an email, yishaiyishaifleischer.com. Thank you, Hashem, our number one sponsor for all things, a universe, and certainly all things of the rebirth of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. Lots of blessings. Keep it up. Strength. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you for the rebirth of Israel, and thank you to be part of it, and let us stay connected forever. Shalom. Lots of love.